A former football player and a hockey player. In the words of Mike Metcalf and Sean Pete, a black guy and a Canadian. Whether you are in the corporate world, own a small business, coach a team, or manage people, Mike and Sean are disruptors. And they have created a unique leadership system that can translate into every work environment. Their company, Deck Leadership, takes a new approach to the outdated corporate norms. The acronym DEC, diversity, efficiency, culture, and kindness, is their recipe to creating a lasting legacy beyond the office and the NASCAR track. They have also co-written a book, 12 Second Culture, an extension of this belief system, celebrating the timeless truths that serve as a pathway to a competitive advantage in the modern day work environment. Mike and Sean, welcome. It's really great to have you guys here. Um, So let's just start with a little background. We have football into NASCAR, hockey into NASCAR. You guys can share the story however you want, but mainly, you know, how did you guys meet and uh, when did you meet? That would have been, oh, end of 06. Yep. Um, I... My first year in racing, and I had never watched a race or been to one. I came from football, uh, wanted to keep playing, had some injuries. I think a lot of people can relate to that, you know, needing to transition or do something different. And uh, so started working with the race team. They That was around the time where athletes started being recruited onto pit crews. Before it was just the mechanics, you know, you, you, and you, you're going to go pit the car this weekend, and you, that's when you can look back and Google pictures with the people with their bellies out, and they're <laughs> gassing a race car with a, you know, 15-pound <laughs> can of fuel on their shoulder, and they're smoking a cigarette. It's like, <laughs> none of this makes any sense. So, um, so yeah, so started racing at uh, Everham Motorsports, and then the next year signed to go over to Red Bull Racing, and Sean had done the same thing, and so we met, um, yeah. Probably cool. Yep. And funny enough, like here, so <clears throat> I've known Mike for a bit just through mutual friends. We have a, <clears throat> I always say like Charlotte has a very unique, um, great group of people um, that are tied to business. And in a weird way, we all seem to be connected. So I've, and you know what, I say this all the time. I'm sure it's, <laughs> it's I'm sure it's not a Charlotte thing. I'm sure wherever you go, this, this exists, but you know, I, I love being here, and that's where I met you through that kind of network. Um, today's my first day meeting Sean, which is kind of cool, but we have a, a real relatable story. Um, a few years ahead of me, but pretty much we followed a similar trajectory into uh, minor league hockey. I went the um, the junior route through Canada, and I believe you went through college. Yeah, and that wasn't out of choice. That was because I was such a terrible hockey player and, <laughs> and, and such a late bloomer that uh, I had no WHL letters coming through. So, um, yeah, I uh, from Vancouver Island, British Columbia. Um, I was, you know, spent some time in Wilkes-Barre, like you did, was sent to Greensboro and was in an opening night brawl uh, <laughs> and had to sit out. I was suspended for 18 games and oh my met a guy in the stands who was in NASCAR. I, I think that was a record. Yeah, at the time, I, I think it's at the time it was. Yeah, it was. What did you do? It was, 18 games. Well, it's... College hockey is different, right? You have guys in full face masks that are running around just sticking you and saying whatever you want to. So there was that coupled with a demotion. And one of those kids was on this team we played opening night and um, cheap shot of one of our guys and our coach was losing his mind. So he's like, is someone going to solve it? So I, I put my hand up, end up fighting the kid and then look over my shoulder and uh, 
Ryan Flynn, who was a heavyweight with the Canadians. Scary bad. Scary dude. Yeah. Hammering one of our guys. So I leave that fight. And I usually fought by gentlemen's rules, but I, I just wound up and suckered him. And uh, he goes to the ice. I get The other guy starts fighting me again. So anyways, to make a long story short, I got six for starting it, uh, six for joining a second altercation, and six games for making a throat-slashing gesture. So um, <laughs> as I was in the stands, I met a guy from NASCAR. My dad has a garage in Vancouver. And he said, hey, you know when your dad comes down, we'll show you around. So sure enough, he comes down. They show me around. Like Mike said, it's all mechanics pitting the race cars. It's practice goes terrible, so Crucci's like, get the hockey player in here. And I was like, no, man, I'm just showing my pops around. He, they're like, no, we're, they were insistent. So I went and was as fast as the guy that had been doing it for five years. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I laugh. I, I tried for 20 years to get to the National Hockey League. I made it to NASCAR in like six weeks. So, yeah. But this was back when <clears throat> there weren't guys like Metcalf in it and, and some of the athletes that there are now. Yeah, and uh, we'll do our best not to walk down memory lane. Uh, this was a weird time in the world, especially in hockey. It's much more professional now. Um, <laughs> uh, I hope I am much more professional, and I know these guys are much more professional than the past, but I'm sure that's uh, part of a lot of people's story. Um, I'm going to get into the book, which I thought, I'll, I'll be honest, it was I absolutely love the way it was organized. I thought it was a very easy read. Um, and, uh, I, I think it is absolutely perfect for anyone in a leadership position, but also to anyone. I I just think there's a lot of uh, parallels that will apply to business and in life. Um, the one thing I found extremely genius was, uh, the intro to each chapter, um, for, for the listeners to understand, 12 seconds, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, represents the new standard for a well-executed NASCAR pit stop. Correct. So think of this, guys. Uh, The book intelligently is 12 chapters long. I'm I'm sure that wasn't a a mistake. Correct. (laughs) Um, But they kick off every chapter um, with exactly what happens in every second Uh, of those 12 seconds, meaning chapter one talks about the first second in a NASCAR pit stop. Chapter two talks about the second, um, the second second. That was hard to say. And chapter 12 talks about the 12th second. It, it blew my fucking mind, to be honest, how much goes on. I think it's 160 steps. Was that? But 160 movements, yep. 160 movements. I have a whole different level of respect for what happens at a NASCAR pit stop. Um, but in general, who had the brilliant idea to, to start the chapters this way? I think we came up with it together. Yeah. yeah. Um, just because, you know, like we, we, we looked at some of our favorite books. Yeah. What made them jump out to us? Like what were the things we liked? And some of it was just that the intro into the chapter made you excited about it, made you want to read it. And, uh, and we thought about just having its own little section of everything. And I was like, well, why don't we just, you know, split it up and, and, and kind of, because the one thing we try to tell anybody that's coming into racing, like working on a pit crew, just learn a, and then B and then C Yeah. learn the steps. And then we'll be able to put the puzzle back together and you'll be able to do the whole pit stop. But if you're trying to overwhelm yourself with all of it right out of the gate, you'll miss it. Yeah. So we just wanted to do something like that for the reader. It was so cool. Um, And I just thought it was such a creative way to do it. So um, that that 
I remember just getting into chapter one, and I'm like, wow, this is a creative idea. I remember reading the first uh, intro and skipping ahead the chapters and reading all of the stuff <laughs> before I even started the book, and I'm like, this is insane how much goes on. Um, I'm going to jump around. Um, I didn't want to just go through the chronological 12 chapters because I'd like people to honestly experience it themselves. I'd rather kind of focus on um, specific things that, that stuck out to me. Yep. Like really, really stuck out to me on a personal level. And also, much of the idea is how we approach uh, business. Um, so the first thing was in chapter three, which was titled The Arrival Mindset. Um, and I want to do this for a little bit of a selfish, selfish pitch here. Um, the theme of the podcast is playing guilty, which pretty much means showing up at all costs. Um, in a way, the arrival mindset and the theme playing guilty, I think share very similar parallels. Um, in chapter three, in, re- in regard to commitment, you guys state the arrival mindset is a conscious decision and commitment that has to be made. The hardest part isn't arriving as your best self, but rather making a choice to arrive as your best self. Yes, for yourself, but more importantly, for your teammates. And later you close the chapter with, what is the best way for me to start the, this day for myself and my team? Don't survive your day. Thriving starts with arriving. So can you guys talk about this very, it's a great theme, the arrival mindset and why it's so critical to business and, and life in general? Well, you know, one of the big things we talk about in our program is that thoughts are things. And further, the view that you adopt for yourself profoundly affects the way that you live your life. So we challenge our guys, the second they put their hand on the door leading into work, we challenge them with that arrival mindset. Who are you showing up as, right? Because Mike and I want the best version of them, the version that's the hardest working, um, that has the most integrity, that's the most coachable, that's the best experience, because we operate right on the verge of human brilliance, right? So if we don't get that best version of them, we're in big trouble. And, you know, we talk about to people all the time, like when you, when you go out in the world and you buy a new car, right? What's the first thing that happens when you decide you want a black uh, Toyota Tacoma? you start seeing black Toyota Tacomas everywhere, right? Yeah. It happens to everybody. <clears throat> so if your mind works like that for something as simple as a car buying experience, what do you think it does when you show up to work on Monday or the gym and say, oh, this is going to suck or I have way too much work, right? You're sabotaging yourself before you even get in the building. And as human beings, there's one thing that's certain is we don't stay the same. We either get better or we get worse. And we challenge our guys, when you put your hand on the door, how, who are we? Like we've sent guys out of practice to come back through the door because they're off, right? Like we, we want the best version of themselves and we're, you know, it's you versus yesterday and we're, and we're, very, um, we're very intentional about that part of our program. Yeah, it almost sounds like <clears throat> there's analogy used in sports from time to time when you have a coach on your team that's a player's coach um, and it sounds like that's how you guys run the whole organization. You play who is going. Right. It's not a hierarchy thing. It's not a a skill set thing. It's a commitment to a system. And if you're following the system, <clears throat> you're, you're playing the shit out of that person. Is that fair? You got it. Yeah. Our, yeah. our biggest, best performers are our hardest workers. Yeah. And that's when you have a great team, right? And great team or chapter five, good people. Winning with good people. I think it's, a, um, it's an additional uh, step to the arrival mindset. Uh, the main theme of the chapter, from what I remember, is around emotional intelligence, um, 
grit and diversity. Like that's, that's more of the, the bulk of that chapter. But there was a quote within there that really stuck out to me. Um, <clears throat> we joked about it before this podcast. Uh, and you said, when we bring a recruit in, the first thing we ask is that they show up at 8 o'clock in the morning. That is when practice starts. If he shows up at 8, he has failed this first test. If he shows up at quarter, two, quarter till 8, he moves on. <clears throat> because after all, as you stated multiple times, in, um, multiple times in the book I saw it, your culture, after all, is only as strong as the lowest behavior you will tolerate. Is that it's right? The worst behavior. Worst behavior. The worst behavior you will tolerate. Yep. <clears throat> so I thought that was um, number one. I love the idea of being on time. Um, you know, a lot of people know the, the company we run here, Metabolic. If you Love show it. up five minutes late, you will find a locked door and you will not be <laughs> let into class. Um, not always popular in pop culture, but it does build our culture in a certain way. So can you guys just talk upon um, the expectations that are set early, how that bleeds into your culture, and just that, that idea of the, uh, the lowest, what is it, the lowest behavior you will tolerate? The worst yeah. behavior you'll tolerate. Okay. Yep. Uh, I'll start there. It's that's the hardest part for leaders. Um, you come in, you implement your culture, you build a business, you're an entrepreneur, it's just you. And then now you have a lot of people <clears throat> and they know what the expectations are. And now you're two, three, 10 years in and you know, people know what the expectations are. You s- preach them all the time and people naturally gravitate toward coasting. <laughs> or entitlement, or just like, oh, it's a, we don't, I don't have to be on time today, and it's up to you in that moment to say, no, 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 no. This is how it goes here, yeah, right. And and calling that out, and there's, you know, especially COVID, people use COVID for all kind of excuses, you know, but flexibility doesn't mean a lack of accountability, right? And it's important for leaders to keep up that accountability, and that's how we, you know, that's how we preach it. Like, hey, we're not going to allow certain things to happen. Yeah, and I got to be honest, like. And I wonder if you guys have ever heard this. When I read the book, I was conflicted at times because I realized I'm not the leader that you guys talk about at times. And I almost wanted to challenge some of the stuff you were putting in there, almost thinking like, well, this can't actually happen. There has to be a certain level of hierarchy. And like, I found myself conflicted within chapters, but also thinking about the humbling approach that things can be done differently. You know, how did you guys get to a place where, like you said, you were a one-man show at a point that had a, a certain entrepreneurial spirit. You wanted to do things a specific way. Now you are dealing with <clears throat> different backgrounds, different family dynamics, different races, different money on certain teams. Like, How do you deal with that coming from, I want to do it this way, yet the world is not that simple? Right. I think, I think it starts with humility, right? Like Mike and I knew we didn't have all the answers. You know, we... You know, one of our first early wins was we signed this guy that was considered one of the best tire carriers in NASCAR. And we start, and um, it's clear that this guy is not going to fit in with our culture. You know, and this is a guy that we went to our bosses as new coaches and said, hey, we, you know, we signed this guy, you know, patting ourselves on the back. Five races in, it was clear he wasn't, he, he, he wasn't going to fit in and, and build what we wanted to build. So we call him in five races in and say, hey, man, we got to make a change on the 42 car. And he, and he looks at me, he's like, good, who is it? And, and we were like, it was you. And we had to tuck our tails between our legs and go to our boss and be like, hey, we messed it up. 
right? And that's the point a lot of businesses miss on is they will have a brilliant salesperson and they're willing to tolerate him coming in late or her coming in late and treating people poorly because their sales are so outstanding. But what they don't understand is that they remove that person, it might let the five people underneath them shine. And the combination of those five people's efforts will far exceed the one brilliant jerk is what we call it. Yeah. And this had to be developed over time, Mm -hmm. obviously. Like, I'm sure this is a learning curve for you guys as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there was a lot of really talented people that we tried to make work, and it just just didn't happen. And so, you know, at some point, our managers were like, you know, you guys are idiots, and you're never going to make it because you let all of your – you're letting all the talented people out of the building. And we're like (laughs) – we're gonna. It's we're either gonna live by this or die by it, right? Yeah. And and you know we, you, every person that comes into the door, um, we can all think of people that you see, whether that was in college or you work with. We're like you see them coming down the hallway, and you're just like, oh my god, here we go, right? <laughs> like <laughs> everybody knows those people. We didn't want those people. You can't win with those people. You don't want to collaborate with them. You know, if you're really working on something that you're passionate about, there's a certain level of energy and commitment that you know that you have to have from that person to be able to get to something brilliant. And if you're like, I don't want to work with them, you're never going to get there. So part of that arrival mindset and winning with good people is, is we wanted people that anytime you encounter them, it's positive. It's you want to be around them. And things just naturally happen because you hang out together. You go on vacation. A lot of our great ideas didn't happen at work. Yeah. They were outside it. They were on vacation. They were, you know, backyard barbecue kind of stuff. So. Yeah. And because of that, we have no sick days. Right? Because people f- feel valued and they want to be part of that. And they want to get into work. And because everyone is a good experience, we put such a high um, price on that. We don't have people laying out. You know, and, and like I said, so you start building momentum and you start building this culture. Much like you guys have done. Yeah, there's a... When we do... Um, so when we do something, it's called a discovery day. And it's pretty much once we have done the interview process, um, someone's uh, financially qualified, they went through the interview process, we actually bring them to Charlotte <clears throat> for a one-day presentation for a discovery day. Because I want to, I shouldn't say I want to, our team wants to shake these people's hands. We start by taking them out for a dinner the night before, like you said, in that casual atmosphere where you really get to know, like, is this a person for the next 10 years of this franchise agreement that I want to continually have a beer with? I think that's, like, hugely important. So Um, important. One of the analogies we use from sports, coming from the background, before they even get to this this discovery day, is we say when when you're drafting for a championship team, you often don't take the number one player in the draft you often take the person who's going to complement your team to build a championship team. So there are so many interesting little nuggets in the book that um, you guys just said a lot better than we, than we well. say them. But you know what I mean? Like, like every time, like uh, I have so many highlights in the book good. of so many good points. So good. yeah, winning with good people um, was a real good chapter. We broke down a little <coughs> a point of it, but um it is kind of like a segue into the kind of diversity component, right? Um, I think the best title in the entire uh, book is Chapter 6, Diversity Isn't Just a Black or a White Issue. Mm-hmm. I thought that was uh, ballsy, right? Yeah. Timely. Right. Um, uh, and then the, the quote or the line was, the ratio 
of black to white employees has very little to do with diversity. And this yep. chapter, like it goes on in great detail, exploring the, the misconceptions of diversity and you break it down real well through um, diversity of thought, diversity of experience and diversity of age. So <clears throat> again, a heavy, heavy hitting chapter that I don't, I want people to read it. So like it's, it's, it's that simple. Um, but something again in the middle there are these two um, opposing thoughts I want to pair against one another mm-hmm. and help me understand. Because this was one of those places where I was, like, conflicted. <clears throat> and I want to know your guys' kind of opinion. You say the more of an expert you become, um, the more difficult it can be to respect the opinion of others, especially when newcomers or young people kind of come into the organization. Mm-hmm. And then I think only about a page later – or maybe even a couple paragraphs later, you say, conversely, those who are new to a job also need to understand that there is much wisdom to be gained from those who have been in a specific environment for a while. Mm-hmm. That's a hell of a head-to-head. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe like help me, help, help people listening understand this kind of dynamic. So part of that diversity of age, um, and, that, and it's, that's where this is coming from. Yeah. Um, you want to have both. You want to have people that are new to, um, the company mm-hmm. and people that have been there, you know, however long it is, you want to have some old timers. And if you don't have people that have stayed with your company for a long time, if everyone's new, you should probably go work for a different company. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> that's probably not a good thing. Um, but also, you know, there, so there, there's wisdom in being in a place for a time. And having longevity, you've seen some things, you've seen some iterations of things. Um, and, and that's super important. Young folks come in and bring energy and ideas and passion. And, and I like to kind of push and, you know, you, you have the old timer like, oh, we tried that 10 years ago. It won't work. And it's like, well, maybe you didn't try it the way that they're thinking about it. And maybe there's new tools or technology. And so if it felt like it was kind of headbutting, it should be. And that's what you want in your culture. Okay. At the same time, on the other side is the evaluating the age of your, your team and your core values. What core values um, existed at Metabolic in its inception that we may need to update or maybe not, maybe they're not serving us as well as maybe something else could be. You know sure. what I mean? So it's updating and making sure that you have a healthy age of your organization, <clears throat> that it's not too old in its thinking, that it's not too antiquated. So there's a couple there's like a couple layers to that, and that's why it kind of feels like it's button heads, but it's really actually kind of working harmoniously together. With diversity and, and all of it, you want to have people that are on different sides. You want to have extremes. You want to have man, I love Donald Trump, and man, I can't stand him, right? Like, you want both of those people at the same table. That's the only way we're going to be able to cover and have range and uh, perspective as we uh, kind of work through through different issues and and adapt to the world around us. And I imagine communication is the key to that. So you probably front load bringing someone in with the expectation of communication. Um, So when these heated... Maybe not heated, just 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 There's, yeah, get conversations. Yeah, but, but they can be. Yeah. yeah, they can be challenging. And and that's a misconception by a lot of people, right? That high performing teams are devoid of conflict. High performing teams are rife with conflict. <laughs> but what high performing teams do better than other teams is 
they go after, they look at the problem, not the person, right? And what they do is they go after um, task conflict, right? So this is the problem within our business. But so many of us, teams are emotional. They're incubators of human emotions, right? We spend more time with the people we work with in our families. And what happens is so often a problem arises and we look at the person and we turn it emotional. And that's what will rip a team apart. So we, we don't allow any of that emotional stuff. If that shows up in our building, we grab you, we grab the guy you have a problem with, because you're not going to come and tell us about the problem. You're gonna, we're going to grab the guy and bring him in the office, sit them both down together. We did it last week. <laughs> and guess what? They shake hands and they leave the office. And a lot of times it was a story or a misunderstanding. Yep. So you squash it. But the thing is, that's uncomfortable for people to do. But if you care enough about your business and you care enough about your culture, you're willing to do those things to make sure your culture's humming. <laughs> Yeah, hot topic, having difficult conversations right now. Right? Absolutely. Um, I feel like people are more open to it now, though, or at least we're working that way. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, well, let's let's jump into... Um, I don't know if I'll be able to sum this up correctly so quick, but the concept of proving people right. Mm-hmm. I, went, I, went, I kept going back and reading, like, the paragraphs over and over again. Um, <laughs> yeah. But from what I gathered, I think it's an accountability thing. Proving people right. Um, the quote that I put down here was, when you have a group of people trying to prove one another right, it weeds out toxicity. <clears throat> Communication and accountability are strengthened when each person is pulling the rope in the same direction. So go where you want to go with prove people right, but also talk about the importance of committing to a universal game plan amongst teammates or colleagues. Absolutely. So Mike and I are in a unique position in a sense that um, we have half the budget to go up against the teams we're supposed to beat off pit road. So we either, we do two things to get athletes. We either build them in-house or we get cast-offs from other teams. And one of the first things they always do when we sign them to a contract is say, you know, thanks for believing in me. I'm going to prove my old team wrong. Mm. And we don't allow that. Because right? if you think about it for a second, when do you get to prove someone wrong? Right? Like, when did you get to prove someone wrong in your hockey career? Right? Like, when you were holding the Ontario the, the, the Championship Cup, you might have got to prove someone wrong. Yeah. But what did you do in that instance? Probably thinking about the proving the people that believed in you right. Right. Yeah. Right. But a lot of us have that cup over our head, and they're like, oh, you know, and if you think of your midget hockey coach who never started you, <laughs> you're bringing him into that brilliant moment with you, Right. Like, if you think about it, like, so we, we ask people, we're like, think of, like, the, the prettiest sunset you've ever saw, okay? And you're probably there with your wife or your, your significant other, right? And that's a really great feeling. Okay, now introduce someone that stabbed you in the back. <laughs> introduce someone that's lied to you. Bring someone, you know, that talks bad about you all the time. It changes the feeling of that sunset. Sure does. Right? Yeah. So what, instead of proving people wrong, what if you prove people right? Like, we all have these people in our lives that have poured their love and their time and their respect, Right? You probably had a bunch of 5 a.m. hockey practices. I know I did. Um, what if you did it for those people? You know, when you go from proving people wrong to proving people right, you unburden yourself from all the people that never deserve to be in your life in the first place. So that when you do get to these moments, you're thinking about your dad or your wife or your little ones. Or, and it's just a much more, it, 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 it's, like I said, you're unburdened. It's such a lighter moment for you. And it's, it makes the battle so much easier to fight when you're doing it for the right reasons. And is, is proving people right a, like, known or studied concept? Is this something specific to deck leadership? Have we heard it somewhere? Because, like, when I read it, I'm like, well, that is genius. 
I think it's just something that we, you yeah, know, because we, we'd always get these guys say prove people wrong. And we're like, no, let's gotta, let's let's do that. Let's flip the perspective. Yeah, yeah. that should be on a T-shirt. That should be on a T-shirt. Yeah, let's let's, let's uh, <laughs> prove people right and then play guilty on the back. That's right. <laughs> Cobra. There we go. Um, so a lot of this, if not all of it, uh, revolves around <clears throat> creating the right environment or um, creating a buy-in or belief system. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I'm a big believer in this next quote, uh, just in general, and, and also where we are today with COVID-19 and um, getting back to human connection. You know, I'm a huge believer in this. And you say human beings are at their best when they feel like they belong to something that is bigger than themselves. Connectiveness speaks to our tribal biology. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does the idea of community, uh, pick whatever buzzword you want to use, community, culture, family, whatever it is, like how much does that play into um, the teams? A tremendous uh, self-determination theory states that for people to be happy or successful, there's three things, and it's being authentic to who you are, uh, connected to others in a meaningful way, and competent at what you do. A lot of people um, struggle with all three of those. Yeah. Right. Don't feel like they can show up. You know, that that's a diversity thing. They don't. Maybe it's a, all this environment and I'm that. And so I have to try to blend in to be this where I'm never going to be my best self. I'm never going to reach full potential if I don't feel like I can show up as Mike, Michael Metcalf. Um, competent at what we do. Um, that's hit or miss, <laughs> depending on training. Um, a lot of times that's dictated to us. And mm-hmm. that's that's unfair. You know, sometimes some people are really good artists, but just the teacher they had didn't appreciate what their style was. Right. And so um, that's a confidence thing. And then that connects to others in a meaningful way um, has really been a challenge lately, right? And so yeah. um, we, we try to facilitate and be mindful of those three, three things when we're building teams, putting pit crews together, because this group of five is going to travel together, they're going to fly together, they're going to work together, they're going to sweat together, they're going to win together, and they're going to lose together. And if they can't show up and be themselves and feel connected to each other, and, you know, it's up to us to get them to be competent. Um, it's a full team effort. If they can't do those things, we have no shot, no shot on pit road. So this is, <clears throat> I want to get a little bit of an uncomfortable uncomfort- uh, conversation going here based on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I can argue both sides of it. And I'm, I'm honestly kind of torn on like where I sit here. Um, did you guys happen to hear the quote from Shopify's CFO or CEO last week? So so this is what he said. He said, Shopify, like any other for-profit company, is not a family. The very idea is preposterous. You're born into a family. You never choose it. And they can't unfamily you. The dangers of family thinking are that it becomes incredibly hard to let poor performers go. Shopify is a team, not a family. How do you, how's that land? <clears throat> My immediate is he's one of those guys that said he's one of those kindness is weakness guys. Is that that's how it comes off? Like that's my initial thought in my head. Um, no, I, th- I think where he's missing it is people don't uh, refer to their companies or teams as families because um, you know you can't ever quit your family. I think referring to to your group as a family speaks to connectedness. It speaks to valuing one another. So I think. Um, 
I guess I can see where he's going with it, but I think it's a bit of a miss, right? Like if I was working at Shopify, I'd be like, oh, hold on a second. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would think that, wow, this guy really doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, like I, I think, uh, yeah. yeah. If, if, um, I, if I believed that, I would come up with a different way to say it because to some people, family is the most absolute, most important thing to them. And when you say things like that, you strip that away. You put a ceiling on your company and it's up to leaders to blow the ceiling off of sure. our teams to like, <clears throat> let's keep climbing and growing and bettering ourselves. Um, people have different family experiences. Sure. <laughs> so people have quit their family, you know? Um, and, and I, yeah, that, that's a, that's a hard statement. I, I, think I understand what he's trying to say. I just think that the word choice is probably poor. Yeah, he got roasted. Uh, for <laughs> Did <sure>. he really? <laughs> yeah, I, I caught it on LinkedIn. Um, you know what was more interesting was reading um, the comments on mm. how this was posted. And like Were they from Shopify employees or just all you, over? It was, I mean, this was thousands okay. of comments. <clears throat> um, and I... I'm with you. I get what he's saying. I don't think he said it delicate enough. Um, I think people defended his position well. I think people challenged it well. At the same time, too, at the end of the day, I guess you can run your organization however you want it. I think where it kind of breaks down, we we call a lot of our – I like to call our people teammates. Um, I also like to, when I go home on the weekends – commit to the family like Mm -hmm. i like to shut off the phone i like not to be like unreachable but i do like to have that switch between um between my teammates and my family Mm -hmm. but when i read that it makes me feel a little bit yuck about myself in a certain way do you know what i mean like it's not that i'm it just makes you know what guess what it makes me think It just makes me think, like, how are you treating your people within your organization? Like, no, I I don't want them to be my family, but I also don't want them to think they're not part of the family, the metabolic family. So it's it's just I thought this was a weird thing to drop in there because the book kind of challenges it all. And then this CEO drops this bomb, and I'm like, wow, this could be an interesting thing to say. But I was just interested on your guys' take on it. Well, it might get a little more interesting here, and you can cut this out if you want. But I got (laughs) Hey, careful. I made a promise I will never cut anything (laughs) out of this. So tread lightly, my friend. Well, just uh, a a good friend of mine, so I'll leave his name out, um, was saying that he thinks more marriages should be arranged. And I was like, interesting. Like, let's. Let's let's do this. <laughs> he was like, "Well, what's marriage about?" <clears throat> and uh, I was like, "Well, you know, there's a lot of factors. You know, interest, wanting to share a life together, love, romance, attraction, like all these things." <clears throat> he was like, "All of those are secondary to choice, choosing to be with that person, and that's what arranged marriage is." You come to the table. Someone says, "It doesn't matter if you like them or not. If you are attracted to them." Any of these things. <laughs> mom and dad over here, mom and dad over here have said, you two are getting married, and you're married, figure it out. And they say that the the divorce rates on arranged marriages, and, and we're talking in, in countries and sure. in cultures that I don't know a whole lot about, so I won't speak too much more, but the divorce rates are very, very low. And I think to say we are not a family um, kind of, dives in, it brings that, that this choice thing in. Because I think that's what he's trying to say, right? Families that, that you can't unfamily. Like, you're stuck with each other. Well, you're choosing to be stuck with each other. 
Because you can do whatever you want in this world. Yeah, you can. Right? It's like, well, it's my cousin, so I got to love him. Oh, that's my crazy brother. I don't really like him. I don't, I can't stand him. But yes, I'm going to his house for dinner tonight. You know what I mean? And so why not have that kind of choice at work? Yeah. To say, hey, you know what? Maybe I could go make more money somewhere else. Or maybe I don't like my Shopify CEO. <laughs> but I'm going to choose to keep coming here. Sure. Right? And, it's, and that goes back to a rival mindset. It goes back to what kind of you know, encounter you're going to be when you interact with people. All of it comes down to choice. Choice boils down to culture. Culture boils down to the choices that you make. It's the summation of the choices that all of your people make in your building on a minute-to-minute basis. And yeah, and I think I just have to reframe the word family because like, you know, speaking from, from personal experience, um, I mean, I left home around 17 mm-hmm. and I've actually been in Charlotte now longer than I've been anywhere. And I actually got my citizenship this year. So like, this is home. I do have family back home. Um, and you know, this, this can sound, you know, harsh or not, but like there are teammates of mine I would take a bullet for and family members, you know, that unfortunately don't have that kind of loyalty towards me, extended family members. Mm -hmm. So like, it might just be me reframing this idea of family and and teammates because (laughs) correct me if I'm wrong, guys, I feel like half the time people are a lot more loyal to teammates than they, than they are to their own right. family. Right. It's weird. Well, and it could be based off your experience, right? Like I get that, you know, the, like the taking a bullet for it. And I think a lot of times that boils down to like how people participate in your life. Sure. Right. Especially you being so far away, similar experiences. I have, you know, siblings that I, you know, I'm, I would, I'll probably leave more to this guy than I will my brother. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, but I'm participating in this guy's life every day. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's hard. And like I said, um, you, there's also that mental break, right? Like we love our guys, but we're, I'm the same way. At 8 o'clock, my phone goes down. Like it's, and I'm with my wife. But I need that time to fill back up so we can show up as the best version of ourselves for our guys, right? Sure. And, and these people that are always have that thing on where I'm reachable 24-7, I think that's a miss. I do, because yeah. you show up, if you show up the next day as half the version of yourself, mm-hmm. you're not serving those people the same way. Yeah, no. I think that's awesome. Okay, another heavy topic, which we can <clears throat> go back and forth with, and I'm real interested. This, is, this, was, the, um, this was the chapter, Vertical Thinking, mm-hmm. that I read three times. Mm. You know, I kept going back trying to understand. Um, uh, you guys, I love this. Uh, you believe the most dangerous phrase in the English in the English language is, "This is the way we've always done it." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so brilliant. So horizontal thinking versus vertical thinking. The book explains horizontal thinking is doing the same thing and not knowing why you are doing it. Vertical thinking is about challenging the status quo and tradition, not for rebellion's sake, but to improve uh, how things are done. Horizontal thinking is the how. Vertical thinking is the why. A horizontal thinker says, I'm going to clock in as many hours as I can so my boss will notice me. Mm-hmm. Vertical think- the vertical thinker says, how can I raise the bar for this company? My question is, could you argue that most companies need a little bit of both? Like, do we need some vertical thinkers and some horizontal thinkers, or is it, or is it no? Um, it's, it's the whole idea of, um, 
too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Actually, shit, I probably can't even say that today. I don't think you can um, anymore. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, like, scratch that analogy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what are your overall thoughts here on hierarchy, um, vertical thinking? I love uh, the concept of everyone has an equal say, but it also, like, it is a foreign concept to wrap your head around, and sure. I'm real excited to hear you guys lecture me on this right now. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So, so I think a good idea is a good idea, right? 1960s pit stops were a minute and 30 seconds. If we would have just thought that that was the best it could get, um, they would still be a minute 30 seconds. We can change four tires and put 18 gallons of fuel in a race car in 10 seconds now. That's wild. Um, but that doesn't happen unless we think vertically. Um, you know, and, and what that is, it's a difference between working in your business and working on your business, right? Like so many of us show up to work. What's the first thing we do? We look at the number in our email inbox mm-hmm. and we go down that rabbit hole, right? So like you talked about your family time, right? So you get quiet, you get away from the business. And what happens when you do that? Sometimes you come up with a good idea. So let's call that the greatest plan ever. So you come in Monday, go down the email rabbit hole. You have a 10 o'clock meeting followed up by 11. Then you have lunch. Then you have an insulin crash. Then you have to put out two fires in the afternoon. And by the end of the day, you didn't get to implement the greatest plan ever. So what do you do? You photocopy it and you bring it back the next day. But what happens on Tuesday? Email, meetings, right? So you get to the end of the day Tuesday and you didn't get to implement the greatest plan ever. And it goes to Wednesday. So you photocopy it and bring it back and it gets a little bit lighter. Well, what we do is we do that until there's nothing left on the, on the paper. And our business did not move vertically. It just, we just got to Friday, right? So you need the doers within the organization, but you need, even those doers should always be trying to figure out, is this the best way we can do this, right? It's coming into the building um, thinking like a scientist, right? Like, is this really, is this the best we can do it? Like, we're always reevaluating our processes. To, is this the most efficient? Can we do it a better way? You know, like we... Um, it's interesting. We had two Navy SEAL guys that pitted race cars for us. And uh, they were the quickest guys from going from no ability to, you know. Cup series. Cup series. Ready to, yep. Yeah. Like Elite. meteoric rise. Yeah. And I remember talking to one of them, and uh, I'm like, how did you guys pick this up so quickly? And he's like, because we're not 40 percenters. And, and I'm like, explain to me, what is a 40 percenter? And he looks at me, he's like, you're a 40 percenter. And I kind of got offended, right? Because in hockey, I had to be 100% or I wouldn't even made it, right? <laughs> and then he goes, and he's a 40%er and she's a 40%er. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? And he said, through their training, what they understand is that um, most of us walk through life at 40%. And a lot of times that's due to, you know, self-limiting beliefs, oftentimes created from other people's opinions or, or things they say to us, right? And he said, the problem with a lot of us is not that we aim too high and we miss, it's that we aim too low and we hit. And that's what vertical thinking allows you to do. It allows you to bust through that. You know, if we're walking around life at 40%, we're walking around at a failing grade, mm-hmm. right? And we think that's the best for us when we're not even halfway to our, any type of realized potential. Yeah. So that's the vertical. That's what, what we look at vertical thinking is. And how do you guys introduce <clears throat> that early enough when a new recruit comes in to know that they have a, a seat at the table? Um. Do you remember the NASA, uh, it was the Challenger disaster. Do you remember that? NASA tried to put the Challenger up in space and it blew up. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was a big deal, right? Yeah. Um, you look at the events of that day. That launch was right after um, President Reagan addressed the nation. Like that rocket had to launch that day because he referenced it in his speech. One of the most junior engineers at NASA that day mm-hmm. 
knew that it was too cold to launch that thing. He knew that the, the O-rings would not um, expand to, to the full potential, and that rocket would blow up. And because he was so junior, his warning was ignored. That thing goes up and bursts into a ball of flames. If that doesn't give your business the impetus to, to make sure you listen to someone who's only been through the, the front door for a week, and, and again, what we, say, what we say is a good idea is a good idea. And it doesn't matter if you've been on campus for a week or a decade. If it's a good idea and it helps us, we're going to look at it, and we may even implement it. That's cool. Yeah. And I was just going to add, you know, you said something about universal game plan. Um, We have an expectation meeting at the start of the year, and some people have now heard it for 10 years, and it just keeps getting longer. And it's (laughs) like, oh, God, here we go. But because we're talking about dumb stuff, you know, like Twitter avatars and what color belt you wear at the track. but. <clears throat> leaving nothing to to um you know question to question right yeah. like we don't want you to have to guess like oh, is this a good or bad decision or not like you you're going to know like we govern so much and in that there is a minimal amount of work that we have to do each month each week right but there's flex time for thinking creative like, creative thinking yeah. yeah and 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 that was what helped us we kind of started to plateau uh, a couple years in. We're like, man, all right, we're turning the culture around. It's not where we want it to be. When do we think? <laughs> we're like, we, we don't. Film, practice, workout, uh, meetings, uh, more film, recruiting dinner. You know, and it was just like nonstop, you know, and we're, we, were the, we were trying to get from Monday to Friday. Mm-hmm. We weren't trying to maximize Monday. And it's just a different mindset, you know. And, and so thinking about that, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's outlined, <clears throat> but we encourage that. We so you, want people you, to think. You build in time for, for creative thinking. Yeah. It's awesome. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, and this isn't a, uh, definitely not a metabolic thing, but with uh, the recent scale, like coming on, like you said, there is a lot of getting through Monday through Friday. And mm-hmm. a lot of times too, I, I consider <clears throat> myself a, a creative and, um, I miss that space at times and us, you know, as a, as a culture are trying to work that back in and mm-hmm. guess what? There's periods of time you have to grind through to get mm-hmm. to a place to create more space. Right. We're right. in that right now building that, but it's just, it's cool to hear that it's actually a priority mm-hmm. to give people space. And, and people feel guilty. It's like, Oh man, there's so much to do right now. I can't afford to just take an hour for me. I would argue those are the times when you have to take an hour for you. So much happens sometimes by lunch. <laughs> Your brain is just mush. And if you take that hour afterwards to just breathe and think and ideate, and if money wasn't an issue, what would we do tomorrow? If, you know, asking yourself questions that start to get those juices going. Now you got two to five or six, and it's like, I got something done here. I made us better as opposed to just like, oh, I'm just going to keep working and working and working. A lot of times that's inefficient. Cool. Well, I have, so not exactly closing yet, but I, I I had these three remaining quotes that were from all different parts of the book that when I stuck them together, I'm like, this is a great way to kind of like tighten everything up and, and bring it together. Um, the book says, and I didn't even write down where they came from, so I'll just I'll wing it, right? So it says, within each person resides an unknown depth of power and 
gifts, incredible qualities and potential offerings to the world that many do not even know they possess. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, um, this was not a moment that came to us easy, uh, came easy to us. It was a product of a multitude of mistakes and long days framed by tireless dedication to get it right and to create the right culture of excellence. And as far as coaching this up, you guys decided to settle on growth over performance. <clears throat> it's not what you earn, but what you learn. The joy was the experience, the lessons, and the things we can control, not the performance. Amazing words. Um, I think those wrap up the entire book. Can you guys kind of expand on the grind, the culture, um, and mainly growth mindset over performance? Go for it. Yeah, I think, like, like I said, um, proof, of, proof of desires in the pursuit of anything, you know, whether that's a business or a team or a pit crew. Um, and, you know, in our business, Mike and I are in the failure business, right? So if we, if we don't have a growth mindset, we're in big trouble, right? So, you know, one of the things that we talk about our guys all the time is we have to fail quickly. We have to fail quickly and move on. Um, and, and what we do is we ask, uh, you know, if, if they come in and miss the first lug nut, we ask them to hit the next five succinctly. Or if we fail on the right side of the car, fail quickly, move to the left side of the car and be brilliant, right? And what we do is we just, we know failure's coming. And we just ask people to extract the positives, extract the teaching moments, and we scrap the rest, right? Like there's a huge misconception about failure in society, right? Like we look at all these successful people thinking they've never failed. And the reason we look up at them is because they stand on a mountain of failures. They just do two things better than a lot of us. They don't let it stop them and they don't let it define them. So if we can, you know, if, if we can reframe failure for our guys, right? Where we can say fail quickly, because right, like we operate on the verge of what's humanly possible. And that butts up right against failure, you're either going to be brilliant or you're going to fail because you're going to miss it. Um, so we, we want them to go after that. So by allowing them to fail quickly, we get the fullest expression of them, of, of their abilities. And, and that just serves us well. Do you find, I've often described my trajectory into business um, being an average hockey player and failing at everything, to be honest, setting me up pretty good. For the next, when you, um, you know, take on new recruits and hires, do you often find that it is um, not the superstar mm -hmm. that eventually stands out, but the person that's used to picking themselves up and mm -hmm. keep moving forward? Brandon, that, I, I feel that that is one of the biggest blessings of my life, is that I was born untalented. <laughs> I, I, I do, man, because I, I had to work for every single thing I ever got. And if I was a talented hockey player, that would have served me till I was a 20-year-old in the Western Hockey League or a 30-year-old in the AHL or the NHL. Yep. But when you're like that, because you know, I had very similar experiences, that sets you up to go through life because you're going to fail in life, right? And, and, uh, and, and I, I do. I, I honestly think that. I look back and be like, thank God I wasn't talented and that I had to work hard because it instilled things that will serve me far longer in my life. And Mike, your story, which I didn't know about your ACL um, injury and then mm -hmm. having to go through a coach saying, yeah, sorry, dude, yeah. you're probably not going to ever start again. So, like, yep. again, <clears throat> similar, similar to you – get, you get, did you get used to failing? 
Yeah, it's uh, and that was my second, you know, torn ACL, right? Uh, so, you know, balling, ACL, get back, balling again, ACL. And then by the time you get back, they're like, oh, he's injury prone. You know, yeah. we don't need him. And uh, that that's still, that conversation still haunts me. But uh, it's, it's, uh, it's taught me how to deliver inspiring news, even if it's not a comfortable conversation, right? You can talk to people. You got to have to fire people. You know, the Shopify guy, have tough talks with people or let people go, but you can still do it in a way that inspires them to keep pushing and keep going. Right. And so, um, I don't know. I heard somebody say it years ago and I say it all the time is that, you know, the, the world isn't looking for you. They're looking for what's inside of you. Like there's a gift inside of all of us. We're all here to do something. And, um, if, you never go through a few things, you won't know what that gift is. <laughs> yeah. I learned that um, I, I could, I learned how to communicate through that because I didn't like how I was communicated to. I learned that I could persevere <clears throat> and that I could keep going even when it got hard. And then I could communicate to others that, hey, it's uncomfortable, but I need you to keep pushing. Here's why. Because success doesn't reward the wrong person and success isn't owned. You know, it's rented and rents due every day, right? So show up and let's go get back at it tomorrow, even though you might not start. Yeah, I thought that was a, it was a powerful story and it, it, the way you did it where we didn't know it was you until the end of the story was, was well played. But yeah, I was, um, I've always thought the story of picking yourself up is a, is, is a good story. So, and even like hiring, I think, I think the best resumes aren't the polished Ivy League ones. They're the, the kids that had to go to, um, get a GED and then went to community college for a couple of years and took care of their younger brother and worked two jobs to put themselves through school. That's great. Those people are always going to make it. Yeah. You know? And you, uh, you referenced the book grit <laughs> in this, which I think it's in here somewhere. Great book. It's, it's yeah. honestly one of that. So you have that book and you have essentialism are my two favorite books. Grit I had to audiobook it because she is a very smart woman, and I was having trouble comprehending <laughs> all the science behind it. Mm-hmm. So I tried it <laughs> cover to cover a few times, didn't comprehend a lot of it, grabbed it on audiobook. But I do, I, those are my two favorite books Grit um, and Essentialism. Have you guys read Essentialism? I have. Yeah, I love that book. And he just came out with a new one called Effortless, hmm. which I'm interested to read too. Hmm. Um, it's pretty much making, from what I gather, is like, making the effortless choice to make your day efficient. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So I think you guys would like that. Um, okay. Finally, uh, in closing, I, I usually close with some um, three big questions. The funny thing I, I, and I kind of prepped you guys before I said, you know, go there or don't go there. But the theme of the podcast is playing guilty. A lot of that has to do with shenanigans mm-hmm. the night before something big that you have to show up for and perform. Do we have any, colorful stories to share i mean we're talking racing my uh first year it was my first ever trip to vegas and then um <laughs> it's already bad <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of my college teammates was from there and uh he was pretty tight in we ended up going out and i made it long i stayed out way too late um and had way too much to, i had way too much fun i'll just put it that way okay um I get back into, so we have to be at the racetrack at, I think, 7.30. And we're leaving the hotel at 6.45. I got back to the hotel in time 
not even the shower, but just to get my crap, throw it in the back, and run back downstairs in order to make the van in time. I get through the day. Somehow, I mean, I got shades on. <laughs> just like, this day can't be over soon enough. I, but no one... You know, you always think no one knows in that moment, but everybody probably knows. Like, yeah, probably. Yeah. He, he's in rough shape. Um, we get to the plane afterwards. We're flying home. I sit down, and I think I'm asleep within, like, three seconds. So long to where when I wake up, I'm just like, man, okay. Whew, I think I've slept through the whole flight. So I get up, and I start to get my bag from overhead and start walking out. And I, We hadn't even taken off yet. <laughs> so, just that little bit of sleep felt like it was 10 hours. I was oh, like, yeah. we got to be home, you know. Um, did you perform well on that I day? did okay. I, I did okay. It. Yeah, I did okay. okay. I did. Anytime where you're playing guilty, you are hyper aware of, if I screw something up, everyone's going to know that I – didn't do what I needed. I wasn't a professional last night, you know. Yeah, so yeah. you're like hyper focused and aware. If you don't do anything right, you're not. You're, you're going to get the performance right. And your body shut down. <laughs> shut after down. That. Like it gave everything it had left and shut down. We've all been there. I was like, I'm, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I was such a terrible hockey player, man. I couldn't afford to play guilty. So uh, I was a responsible athlete through that part. I had one uh, racing experience. Um, we were in racing in New Hampshire. I went played college hockey up there, so caught up with some guys in Boston. I had the 15-passenger team van that was shuttling both teams to the racetrack at 7 a.m. And we're just going on. You get with a bunch of guys you know, and I look at my watch, and it's – 5.45, and I'm like, oh, no. And I'm in Boston. And, uh, and we're uh, in New Hampshire. And we're in New Hampshire. <laughs> and, I got that van back maybe two minutes before our boss came down. I was like, oh, I was just out back. I just drove it around. <laughs> like I it. And that's the only time I've ever done it, and I did. Man. It might have been my best day because I was so so aware. Oh, my. I had it on kill that day. I was not going to make a mistake. Oh, it's good stuff. <laughs> All right. On a serious, more serious <laughs> note, um, I thought that, so. The book inspired me to look at the way um, <clears throat> I lead um, and how I, you know, address my family. Let's use that word, um, and I mean my teammates there. Um, <clears throat> if you guys had the chance to run it back, you know, if you had a mulligan over the next five years, would there be something you did differently? Oh, there'd be plenty. We've made more. We've made more mistakes than uh, than a lot of people. I think. Um, gosh, that's a great question. Yeah, mm-hmm. there would be other. Th- there would be things we did. We'd, we'd figure out ways to care more. Um, uh, we would have figured out ways to. Um, Letting people go is never going to get easier for us. I know that you know, and I never want it to get easier for us. But some of the early ones. Um, Maybe not. We wouldn't have beat around the bush so much. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you know, we, we, I think it's easier to just be straight up and honest when someone's not fitting in with your culture. And, and being straight up with that person, not, hey, you know, kind of slow playing them, just bringing them in, be honest. I think if we could redo some of those things, it would be some of the early exits. And, and maybe some of the people we misevaluated early on. Yeah. yeah. Um, go ahead. Well, I was just I, – I don't think – we have any regrets. I think we made all of our choices together. We tried to be intentional about it. Um, they were, you know, uh, well thought out. Um, but Mulligan's absolutely. And I, I think it's um, just we were going to – we came in and we were, uh, we were going to be the hardest working people in the garage. 
you know, and it was so work focused that I think we did miss opportunities to just connect with people. Yeah, and it's interesting. So DEC Leadership, <clears throat> the company, uh, we talked about it early. It, uh, the acronym stands for Diversity, Diversity Efficiency, Culture, and Kindness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never really got to kindness. Um, I'll tell um, a kind of personal story of meeting Mike for the first time. <clears throat> when I met Mike, I think I met you through our friend, uh, mutual friend Kobe Craft. Okay. Um, yep. And I think it was at a, a James Yoder event, okay. uh, not just coffee event. But when I met Mike, <clears throat> I'm going to sound like the asshole saying this, but I'm like, this, this can't be real. <laughs> I'm like, this dude can't be this nice. This can't be a kind thing. This has to be an act. I think when people pick up the book, they can go through chapters and be like, like, are these guys really, like, is this the way they're living? Are they really being this intentional? Are they really being kind? And I'm happy to tell you, everyone that's listening here, like, this is who these people are. Um, we never got to kindness, but it was, uh, it was an overtone within every chapter. <clears throat> it's how you closed. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about kindness. Why is that important? Yeah, so I think kindness is the like the gateway to empathy, and that's what we all need more of right now. Just to being able to relate to what other people are going to, walking a mile in other people's shoes doesn't happen without some level of kindness. And uh, and for me, it's important because it starts internally. I always talk about investing through overflow. So I can't pour anything into anyone else. People, my, I lead family, team, unless I got some coming into me. Right. So self-care, resting, being connected to the things that I'm passionate about. So a lot of people aren't kind to others because they're not kind to themselves. How many people can right now raise their hand in the universe? I should probably sleep more, work out more, eat better, all these things. That's part of kindness. That's like that's you taking care of you. And if you're not taking care of you, why expect other people to take care of you? Yeah. No, I mean, I can be more kind. I'm too hard. No, I am. It's just, it is. Like, if there's a thing that I could bring better to everything, it's mm-hmm. more kindness. Yeah. Um, go well, ahead, and, and so many business owners and, and CEOs, you know, I hate when I hear kindness is weakness. Mm-hmm. Kindness isn't weakness. Kindness is empathy, like Mike said. And empathy is understanding. It's not tolerating poor performance. It's understanding the human factors that drive performance. Addressing where we're missing it there so that we can move forward together. Right, like the, some of the kindest people I know are some of the baddest dudes on the planet. You know what yeah. I mean? Like um, our good, Navy SEAL guys, are incredibly kind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we got three NFL linebackers. They're incredibly kind, kind guys. Now you know, don't yeah. piss them off. Yeah. Any of us, you know. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. we look, you're three guys that if somebody was trying to rob this place and walked in here, they'd probably leave. <laughs> they were like, yeah, I'm gonna go try somewhere else. You know, but we can be kind, right? Yeah, and I think that's. Um, and those are my favorite people in the world the the, the walk softly but carry a big stick people. Because they don't have to prove that they're a tough guy or that they're this or that. They're just, and you can be kind, and, and that can be a full expression of yourself. It's when you're not that way, it's because you're you're trying to hide something or cover something up. Sure, yeah. No, I think it's great, guys. Um, <clears throat> the final one, I think this one's tough to answer, but I'm going to give it to you both. Is um, out of ten, how would you score yourself versus the person you want to be? Six. Yeah, I'd say probably like seven. Um, I people <laughs> people always are like, "Man, how do you get so much crap done?" 
And I'm like, I don't know, but I would get a lot more done if I was more disciplined, more structured. I'm more of a um, kind of go with the flow kind of guy. Um, and I know I need to be more structured just as I've gotten older and it, we're doing more stuff with deck, our race team, Ganassi racing. We're busy there. Got two young kids, a wife and just making sure I spend the adequate amount of time needed in all those entities. It yeah. just requires a lot more, I think, discipline than what I'm doing. right. Now. <laughs> and I'm a six cause I work next to this guy every day. Right. So like, he'll say something that's like super kind or super brilliant and, or, or, I'll be losing my mind and he'll speak to the better angels of my nature. And I'll be like, God, I gotta be a better person. You know what I mean? So I'm always going to be one behind him at least, at least. So wow. you guys are, I'm a fucking four. <laughs> sit at this table right now. <laughs> I can get my shit together. No guys, I honestly, that was a fun talk. Um, yeah. Really appreciate it. You know, this is where we uh, want these conversations to go. As far as um, what you guys offer, um, how people could connect. Uh, where can they find you individually? And maybe talk about what what deck leadership is all about, and um, you know what you offer. Yeah. So, like you said, uh, you know, deck was born out of an opportunity to speak at the NFL Combine. You know, we didn't think we had anything to say to the world. We were NASCAR picker coaches. Mm-hmm. We go up there, we do a thirty minute set, and as we're leaving the conference hall, we thought it went terrible. And this yeah. guy tracks us down. And he's like, guys, I took more notes in your 30 minutes than I have the first two days of this conference. And we get in this really great talk, and he's like, well, who are you with? And he's like, I'm with the New England Patriots. So we're like, wow, maybe we have something to say. So what we did is we, we packaged that up. We started hearing more and more corporations saying they wanted their people to operate like a pit crew and not really understanding what that was, right? Like operating like a pit crew is elevating people over performance. So we built this program where you know, we can come in and do um, – a keynote around our book, 12 Second Culture. We, we're working with uh, four companies currently around the country um, on all four letters. We're working, we come in and we do a module on diversity, a module on efficiency, a module on culture, and a module on kindness. And what that allows is companies to unite around a single language, a single idea, instead of Simon Sinek in the first quarter talking about your why, and then Jocko in the second corner talking about <laughs> carrying some guy out of Fallujah with his leg blown off, right? <laughs> so there's a continuity of message. And, and we'll go all the way to, like, we will bring the race car to the parking lot of your business, put the tires, the gas cans, and the guns in your hand, and we will let you guys run real NASCAR pit stops and teach you how to operate like a pit crew. Cool. Really cool. Yeah, and so just deck leadership on Instagram, it's the Twitter, LinkedIn, and then he's SW Pete, and I'm Mr. Metcalf Jr. on uh, like Instagram, yep. social. And is that where you guys are most active, Instagram? Uh, yeah, the deck page is run by us, which you'll be able to tell because it's terrible. Uh, <laughs> everybody's like, you guys have such amazing content. Like, we talk to people all the time. Man, I can't find any kind of content, but my page is awesome. You guys are the opposite. Your content's amazing, and you suck at social. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know, and I, I just don't care. I don't know. Like, I will one day, maybe yeah. – uh, Maybe, like, we'll come back and do this five years from now, and you'll say, what mulligans would you do? And we'll probably say, we probably should have cared more about social media. We should have invested <laughs> in social media. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Uh, I will um, – I'll make sure um, that everyone has the direct links in the show okay. notes. So, um, you know, we'll get, we'll get, get Instagram, LinkedIn. We'll get, it, we'll get it all in there. But uh, this was great, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks uh, for your time today. Enjoyed it. Thank you, man. Thanks, Brandon.
This podcast is sponsored by Metabolic, the industry's first and only strength-driven interval training franchise. For more information, please visit metabolic.com. That is M-A-D-A-B-O-L-I-C.com. 